Answers begins right now. The New Testament teaches that at a future time, Christ will come to take the church out of the world. At this time, all Christians will be translated to heaven. This event is known as the rapture of the church. Some argue that the rapture of the church is not supported in scripture. What is the rapture? Is it taught in the Bible? What will happen at the rapture? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In our broadcast today, Pat will present the biblical teaching on the rapture of the church. Now with part one of this message is our host, Pat. Well, we've been covering issues on eschatology or the end times that Pastor Jason wanted me to go over while he is on sabbatical. I hope you found some of these messages informational and inspirational. Well, as we begin, we started with the bad news first, the coming judgment of Christ upon his church and the world. We talked about the coming apostasy, and now we get to the good news regarding the coming of Christ. Well, as we begin then, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that what we learn today would inspire us to live in greater ways for you, to be more faithful, more diligent to study your word, and even more motivated to share the gospel message of Christ to a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in one of the most significant books written by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, he argued that the loss of hope has a deadly effect on human beings. He was in a Nazi concentration camp, and he wrote down his experience, and he saw that when a man loses or no longer possesses a motive for living, no future hope to look forward to, he simply curls up in a corner and dies. Any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in camp, he wrote, had to first succeed in showing him some future goal. Hope is one of the most powerful forces known to mankind. And where there is faith in the future, he states, there is power to live in the present. And where there is no faith in the future, there is no power for living in the present. Powerful words by Viktor Frankl. And the ability To face and overcome life's most difficult circumstances comes from the power of faith and a solid hope. But for that hope to be meaningful, it first has to be true. It has to be indestructible. It must not be ever able to be taken away, and it must be everlasting. False hope only brings despair, but a true hope brings meaning, purpose, a reason to live for something greater than ourselves and greater than this world. And believers in Christ today, we can live with power to face even the most difficult of circumstances because we have a hope that's unlike any other. No ideology or any other religious system can come near to the message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks of our hope in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's the first passage we're going to look at. This is Christ coming for his church, a marvelous event known as the rapture of the church. When Christ comes to take his church out of the world, and then he is going to judge the world. 
But let me first show you a biblical timeline of events. Right now, we're in the blue bar. That's the church age. That's where we are now. We are in the church age where every disciple of Christ is called to go throughout the world and make disciples of all the nations. But the church age will one day come to a sudden and abrupt end when Christ comes for his church in an event called the rapture of the church. Now, there are basically three key passages on the rapture that we'll go over today. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and John 14. So those are the three passages that we'll be covering this morning. Now we begin in 1 Thessalonians 14, where Paul introduces us to the great hope that we have in Christ. We see in verse 13 here, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Notice the Apostle Paul here calls death sleep. The reason is that physical death is not permanent. Sleep implies waking up and one day our physical bodies shall arise once again. Now he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. As Christians, we are not exempt from the suffering and pain of this world. We do grieve. However, our grief is one with hope. Our hope is sure based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The evidence for the resurrection has never been beat. I've debated this subject on radio, on campuses, and my professors and friends, far, far more scholar than I, have debated this subject against some of the top atheists and skeptics from around the world, and the evidence for the resurrection has never been beat. And we have, come, we have a powerful and compelling case that the resurrection is indeed a historical event. And our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then really it's no problem to raise believers to eternal life. He's already done it. He raised himself from the dead, and he is the author of life. He's conquered sin and death, so it's no problem for him to raise believers on that faithful day. That's why most people, all right, Given a choice, they prefer a Christian funeral. I'll be attending the funeral uh, of a friend's father. Man died of devout atheist. Right? Despised Christianity and Christians. But come time for the funeral, what do they want? They want a Christian funeral. Why is that? Well, what message can an atheist bring? Right? Atheism teaches that we are material beings only. Chemistry encased in flesh. And the only certain future that awaits us all is death, or more precisely, extinction and annihilation. That's all that waits if God does not exist and there's no life after death. That's the only thing we have to look forward to, is our extinction and annihilation. All right? We can say, well, he made the world a better place. What's the fate of the world? Our sun's going to run out of energy. Our universe, as it continues to expand, provided... You know, if there is no God, it's going to run out of energy, reach a state of final entropy, the universe comes to an end. All we have to look forward to is death, extinction, and annihilation. All that we ever lived for, all comes 
to an end. So what meaning was there in our life? Everything ends in death and extinction. I mean, what do you say at an atheist funeral? Those in Eastern pantheism or the Eastern religions or the New Age, what do you say? Your personhood is an illusion. You are not an individual person. We are one with the cosmic energy of the universe, one with the force, okay? one with the great cosmos. And when we die, if we do not escape the endless cycle of reincarnation to come back and suffer and die again and again and again, what a miserable fate. Well, the ultimate goal is to escape the cycle of reincarnation and be absorbed into the universe, okay? to become one with the cosmic energy of the universe. You will not exist as John, as Sally, as Fred in eternity because your personhood is an illusion. Okay? You just one drop in the great ocean of the universe. You are absorbed into the universe. Or in Buddhism, the tradition that I am from, the final goal, if you do not escape the cycle of rebirth, the final goal is what? Nirvana. Extinction. Nirvana is not heaven. It's extinction. It's ceasing to exist. Paint as nice a picture as you want. But these are ultimately futures void of any real meaning or hope. So our hope in Christ is unlike any other that is out there. Nothing comes close. The hope we have is a very powerful hope that should make a difference in the way that we live today. Now, Paul now explains the great hope that awaits every believer in Christ in verse 15. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of the command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Lord Jesus will come from heaven. His coming is described here. There will be a shout from the archangel, and it's going to be an incredible shout. I remember uh, when I was in summer fun, uh, I was teaching the boys how to wrestle, all right? Not pro wrestling, okay, that stuff on TV. I mean, wrestling or collegiate style wrestling. And I was teaching them how to wrestle, and they were having a great time, great fun. And of course, the girls' class came next. And I was going to teach the girls something else. And they said, we want to do wrestling like the boys. Uh, and I said, you do? And they said, yes. So I said, all right, well, take off all your jewelry then. So they did. And they started wrestling. One girl, she was, uh, what shall we say, much uh, bigger than the others, much stronger than the others. And it was her turn to wrestle. And her opponent was this tiny, tiny little girl. Just tiny little girl <laughs> thought, whoa, she's got no chance against her. And so I blew the whistle and the girl started, you know, all the girls started screaming. And I turned to look and all of a sudden I heard this, bah, whack. On that. And it was the tiny little girl on top of the other girl. She pinned her. I was just stunned. And all of a sudden I heard this, ah, scream, just yell. It just scared the daylights out of me. Well, imagine the archangel, the shout of the archangel that comes. It's going to be just a tremendous, uh, tremendous, powerful 
shout there. And there will be a blowing of the trumpet of God. And where you see in the Bible, the trumpet of God is blown. God is up to something very significant here. And it says in verse 16 that the dead in Christ shall rise first. What does that mean? Well, those who have died and gone to be with the Lord, their immaterial essence, okay, their soul, their spirit, their mind, their emotions, they're presently with the Lord now in heaven, 2 Corinthians 5.8, right? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. They are with the Lord now. But on this day, the physical bodies of the dead in Christ will be resurrected in a glorified state to unite with their soul and spirit there in heaven. Then it says, we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Many argue that the word rapture is not taught in the Bible and that it is not biblical. Well, this verse teaches that believers who are alive will be caught up into the clouds and we will be transformed instantly from this mortal, frail body to glorified, to our glorified and eternal state. Now, the term rapture comes from the term right there, caught up. Then we who are alive will be caught up together with them. I was listening to a preacher on the radio. One of the reasons I was asked to address this, there's a lot of teachers out there who say rapture is not a word you find in the Bible. And it is not there, and this is an unbiblical teaching. The preacher on the radio said, if you are in a church and you hear terms like rapture, millennial kingdom, he said, head for the door immediately, okay? Uh, Remember, there was a guy who used to follow me around the island, and on my car, he would glue paper that talks about my false teaching on the rapture and the return of Christ. Uh, And whatever church I was at, I'd find this thing rubber cemented on my windshield. And uh, I remember speaking in Maui, and I had a rental car. And this got me really mad because I had a rental car. And it was rubber cemented on my rental car. I haven't seen him since. I don't know who he is. Okay, But there's a lot out there teaching that this term rapture is not in the Bible. Well, it is. Okay, It comes from this word caught up. The Greek word there is harpazo. In Latin, it's translated rapturo. And in the English, that's where we get rapture from. So this is where it comes from. Now, the word rapture or harpazo, according to the Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament, means to seize upon with force or to rob. So it denotes an open act of of violence, a, a sudden snatching away. It's used to mean to forcibly seize upon, to snatch away, to take to oneself. And it's used about 14 times in the New Testament in this manner. For example, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was telling a parable and he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. That's the word there, harpazo, to take by force, a sudden snatching away. And it's at this moment that believers in Christ will be suddenly taken from this world and transformed to glory before Christ comes in judgment upon the earth. Many argue that the rapture is a recent teaching, one that has occurred within the last century. Well, it's actually found throughout the Bible. There are several times in the Bible 
where people have been raptured or suddenly taken from earth to heaven. We have Enoch says he walked with God and suddenly he was no more for God took him. Elijah was suddenly taken from this earth in a fiery chariot. We see Jesus in Revelation 12. After the woman gives birth, the dragon seeks to take the child and he's quickly taken away. Philip, after he shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch and he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch and suddenly he is raptured and suddenly taken away. We see the two witnesses in Revelation 11. They are killed, their bodies lie on the streets or hanging in the streets for several days and then they are resurrected and then they are raptured or taken up to heaven right so it's a concept there throughout the bible it's it, it's nothing new and paul says this day is coming and it can come at any moment all right no other prophecy needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place i have a professor and he had a saying on his desk regarding the rapture and it said perhaps today perhaps today therefore paul says encourage one another with these words so what a glorious and exciting future awaits believers in christ i mean there's no more hope-filled or encouraging words to hear than that christ is coming this earth will not continue the way it is evil and suffering will not dominate as it does now the king is coming he will judge the world and establish his kingdom. Justice and righteousness and truth in the end shall prevail, and it could happen very soon. So this should fill every heart with hope and joy, even in the most difficult of circumstances. You know, during World War II, there were resistance fighters throughout Europe. Many Dutch, Polish, French, even German resistance fighters fought against the Nazi empire. Many died never seeing Germany defeated or their country freed. And what may have been disheartening was that a large population of their countrymen, if not most of their countrymen, chose to align with Hitler, while others chose not to resist and go along with the Nazis who were in control at that time. And many criticized and spoke out against the resistance fighters, saying, you're making it harder on us. The more you fight the Nazis, the more they come down on us. All right, so just quit it. Just cut it out, okay? How discouraging it must have been for them. I can imagine many resistance fighters as they are blowing up railroad tracks or thwarting transportation from coming or giving plans to the allies that they didn't know if these secret messages were getting through. Many would probably ask themselves, you know, is this struggle worth it? Are my small efforts actually making a distance in this great war here, vastly outnumbered, outgunned uh, by the, the Nazis here? You know, one of the freedom fighters in France, his name there is Marcel Raymond. He's one of 13 who were shot by the firing squad by the Germans. You see on that poster there, they are criminalized, right? It says, are these liberators? No, they're criminals, okay? And uh, they were executed by a German firing squad. Well, one of the leaders, his name is 
Marcel Raymond, wrote a letter to his mother. He was only about 18 years old, but he wrote this letter to his mother the night before he was to go before the firing squad. And he said this, Mother, when you read this letter, I'm sure it will cause you extreme pain, but I will have been dead for a while, and you'll be consoled by my brother who will live happily with you and give you all the joy I would like to have given you. Forgive me for not writing at greater length, but we are all so joyful that it's impossible to think of the pain that you must now feel. I can only say one thing, and that's that I love you more than anything in the world, and that I would have liked to live for your sake alone. I love you, I kiss you, but words can't describe what I feel. And what brought these freedom fighters joy and inspired them to continue on was that their cause was true, their cause was right, it was righteous, it was just. And there was hope that one day the Allies would break through and arrive and deliver the country from Nazi oppression. And as Christians, we find ourselves in a similar situation, don't we? Physically, standing against incredible odds, vastly outnumbered, many ridiculed and criticized at work or even in uh, what is supposed to be Christ's church, perhaps sometimes wondering if our lives make some kind of difference here in this great struggle. You know, there are times I get discouraged when I look at where our culture is headed and our great institutions have been overrun by false teaching. You know, just uh, this past week, we saw the great pride flag having the most prominent place at our nation's capital, even more prominent than the American flag. Uh, denominations embracing false ideologies, celebrating sinful lifestyles. It's of great concern when our nation celebrates a lifestyle that the Bible clearly states is immoral. But not only that, it is a medically dangerous lifestyle. But not only that, you're headed for economic disaster. It's sociologically destructive as well. And yet, it has a celebrated position in our nation's capital and in many churches. You know, we're doing our uh, one of our conferences here, and the leader at the church, and we love working with her, what a woman of God. And she was a bit discouraged over what happened the last couple of weeks. I said, what happened? She said, I sent the letter to our denomination saying, we're having this event at our church, put it in the bulletin, bring all the churches in the denomination, bring your youth here. This is going to be a great event. And she said, nothing, nothing went on on the website, nothing. And she kept calling, calling, no answer, no answer, no answer. Finally, someone answered and she said, what's going on? And he said, they said, we do not approve of this speaker and we do not approve of his organization, especially in this month when the entire denomination is celebrating Gay Pride Week. And we are celebrating our gay and transgender pastors and all who live in that lifestyle to have this speaker come. That's something we do not approve of and we will not promote this. Yeah, that was kind of discouraging to see the whole denomination that once brought the gospel here to Hawaii, who established many great private schools here on the island, who were once missionary schools, training future Christian leaders to see, you know, walk around this island 
and some of the beautiful, beautiful churches that have been here for over a century where the gospel was once powerfully proclaimed, now empty. Right? No one attends these churches. And whatever is preached is, is just a false message of liberalism and critical theory and celebrating what the Bible states is clearly a sinful lifestyle. again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and His teaching as it relates to today's current events. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, give Pat a call at 483-0586, or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. To keep quality broadcasts, like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Wait, wait.